Welcome to Young Creative Hustlers, a podcast for artists who want to learn ways to make a living by what they love to do. I'm Josh Williams, a musician and filmmaker, among other things, and I'm looking to do the same. Join me on my journey as I talk with other creatives and share my story about how to be a young creative hustler. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Young Creative Hustlers. It's your boy, Josh Williams. And sorry for being on hiatus. <laughs> uh, I've been gone for a little bit, um, but I was actually off creating. So I just dropped a new song called Lessons and the music video is out. So you can check that out right now. Link in the show notes. And also recorded another song with today's guest, Stuart McLeod. Yo, <laughs> welcome up, to the show, man. Dude, it's, so, it's an honor to be here, man. Yeah. So just so you guys know, Stuart is... Oh, dang. I wrote down what I was going to say about him. Okay, hold on. <laughs> Let me pull my notes. He is um okay, I'll just say it like this. He is a creative, um he's an engineer, he's an artist, um he's a producer, he's a studio owner, he's a husband. Um he's just an all-around uh, amazing dude. Uh, I met him through at, at, at where I went to school at and I remember kind of people like, yeah, there's this guy named Stuart. He's super cool, he's super dope. I was like, okay, Let's see, let's see. And then so I met him and then just to see how talented he is as a musician as well. And oh, even I would say as a business owner too. So mm -hmm. we're going to talk a little bit about the creativeness, the business side of things, but welcome to the show, man. Hey, bro. It's good to be here. It's funny this morning. I was like trying to figure out, I was like, dude, where did Josh and I meet? Bro? Was it Regent? <laughs> was it? I couldn't figure it out. Yeah. I didn't know if it was church or what. And and then I thought, you know what's crazy, bro? I thought of CJ Van. Mm -hmm. Okay, my so, brother, yeah. So he, for for me, his name is Mr. Van because mm -hmm. he was my band teacher at Atlantic Shores back in like seventh grade. Bro. Oh wow, yeah. And and so and we still run into each other. I'll see him. Uh, on campus every once in a while he's mm -hmm. i think he's getting his mdiv or something yeah he's been working on that yeah and so it's crazy to see i'm like bro that's like 10 11 maybe 12 years ago bro yeah like and then i <laughs> and then um what's like what's the connection like you're at his church yeah right? yeah he's my godbrother so i've known him basically Dang. my entire basically since i was i think one years old what a small world bro. yeah that's crazy he's the real og bro yeah for real he needs to be in here bro he's like <laughs> he's the real killer man all uh, the keys everything yes sir i Anyways, learned so shout much out to mr him. van yeah shout out to i'll say cj <laughs> yeah, i learned CJ. so much yeah that's how i basically learned gospel keys from him wow. was just watching him taking notes and cool. um and then just applying that to some other things so yeah that's really shout powerful. out to him um, so yeah, so bro, tell me about your creative journey. Where did that kind of begin? Oh man, uh, that's a big question. So I would say this, man, I, I originally very similar to you love drums. Mm -hmm. Uh, when I was about two years old, uh, I grew up in church pastor's kid. Both of my parents were uh, on staff at a church in Virginia beach, um, did, uh, youth ministry, young adult ministry. Uh, so I was always around church. And when I was about two, um, I started grabbing pots and pans, bro, mm -hmm. I, everything, <laughs> and just hitting them, you yeah. know, hitting hitting steps at the church altar, you know, like with my drumsticks <laughs> playing, you know. Uh, yeah. And there was actually a, a person in our church that uh, loved drums, and so they, they would just sit me on their lap when I was like two, mm. and I would just you know, play on the drums and fell in love with drums, got a drum set when I was like three, four mm. and like 
played for years, right? And then I would say like that was a huge start of it. We always had an upright piano at our house too. Yes. The family like always gathered around it, you know, um there's a few generations of like gospel music in our family and uh pianists. My my great uncle was like a phenomenal pianist mm. and uh my mom played piano and and so um I was always around it, but I never understood it. Like I just could like fiddle around here and there and just really picked it up by ear. I would say probably eighth grade, 14, 14 or 15 years old, just started like hearing songs on the radio or just hearing like mm. worship songs yeah. and then starting to like play the melody as I'm hearing it and yeah. just like kind of figuring out what are chords. So for the first like two years of playing keys, I didn't know what chords were. I just knew what they were playing. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Like I knew how to, just by sitting down and like just really taking time, uh, I could play the right chords yeah. for songs that we would do at church or whatever it is, but I had no idea what the name of them were. Right. And so yeah. like, I didn't know what a C chord was. I didn't know what G, mm -hmm. but I knew what it sounded like. Mm. Um, and so it wasn't until later in high school, which Mr. Van actually, um, he would start teaching like terminology and, and theory um, and kind of make more sense out of it. But yeah, creative wise, it's kind of been a part of my life, bro, since mm. like day one, like um, starting with drums and then working through. I never really, I had a guitar when I was probably like eight. Yeah. <laughs> I had one of those electric guitars. I love Stephen Curtis Chapman when I was mm. like real young, bro. We went to a show of his, I fell in love with it. So I had this guitar with like the little tiny amps. I don't know if you remember that. They're like the box amps. Oh, the box the, amps. That like hang off your belt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, that sound like garbage. Oh, uh, But I walked around everywhere just jamming out. But I know I, I yeah. So I, I play a little bit now, but not like piano was definitely the, the instrument that made sense for me. Yeah. So. What, what were kind of your creative influences growing up? Yeah, I mean, definitely Stephen Curtis Chapman. Uh, he was one of them. Um, oh, man. Growing up, yeah, from an early age. So this is funny, man. I, I just found out about this um, this past week. But I guess when I was a like baby baby, I would bawl my eyes out <laughs> and like just be crying. You know, like most babies, whatever. But I'd be crying, and the only thing that would stop my crying would be my mom putting me in front of the Gaithers really? on TV, bro. <laughs> which is so funny. I literally oh, just found out about this last week. Yeah. And I'm kind of ashamed, so I don't know why I'm telling you guys this. <laughs> but yeah, so they would put me in front of the Gaither band on TV, like on TV or something. I don't know. Yeah. And uh, that would be the only thing that would like soothe my crying, apparently. I don't know. But I never, <laughs> I never, uh, Good old let's Southern say gospel. I never cognitively chose to listen to them okay? okay so that is not an endorsement uh no offense but uh i would say like from an early age of what i desired to listen to i loved um yeah stephen curtis chapman was for sure like number one fan i love dc talk mm -hmm. um i loved yeah the michael tate toby mack like that whole yeah diversity i love like um taking different cultures, different genres, and kind of blending them through. Um, let me think, man. I mean, 
I loved Hillsong growing up. Like that's this is like older now. Like yeah. um, you know, everyone knows like in the Christian realm, like Mighty to Save, Hosanna. Mm-hmm. It was played every week in church. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, st- some churches still playing it every week. Bet. <laughs> <laughs> it ain't broke. No uh, fix. It. Exactly. But uh, yeah, playing playing a lot of Hillsong growing up. Um, I would say the first show that caught me that was like, I want to do music for the rest of my life. Uh, and this is kind of like random. I don't know if you'll get get this, but was M83. I don't know if you've heard of them. Yes. M83, mm-hmm. electronic. Yeah, I've heard from, because they did the, or he, I don't know if it's a person or a group. Yeah, but they it's did, him. Oh yeah, he did the Oblivion soundtrack. Yes, right? bro. He yeah. did Oblivion, which was his first score. Score, okay. Uh, that was like a national like movie, or international rather. Um, like major movie, but they've done a couple scores since that okay. are like weird uh, French movies or like just kind of unheard of yeah. films. But um, yeah, so I, I went to their show probably when I was like 13, 14, they came to the Norva in Norfolk mm-hmm. and I sat all the way in the back next to the soundboard and I, literally just jaw dropped like the whole time like i heard i heard you know the synth like was crazy you know 80s like massive synth and Mm -hmm. um the drummer had this like drum pad was playing all these electric samples but live he had um the lead guy had this massive moog uh synth that was like probably six feet tall in the front of the stage and he was playing all these crazy like arpeggios and like synth patterns and it was wild bro and i immediately um was like this is what i want to do like this is exactly what i want to do and this was at a time um you know i say this now in 2020 and it's like okay cool synth electronic like that's pretty much everyone right Stu? yeah well this was like 12 years ago Mm -hmm. so this was at a time in the music industry where everything was heavy guitars, everything was acoustic, everything was like that boy band or like, uh, you know, like All American Rejects was a thing, Mm -hmm. you know? And then you had this crazy French band playing synth and electronic (laughs) music, like like (laughs) lo-fi. Yeah. And so different for like what was happening musically at the time. Mm. And for me, that's what caught my attention and and drew me into music in like this creative space where they were actually creating on stage yeah uh because of all the patch bays and like um synths and all of that they were they were creating on the spot things that weren't even on the record yeah and and for me i love that i love like that improv like creating that's why i love jazz music mm-hmm. um i would say it's really in my creative journey has almost like flipped i think a lot of people probably start out listening to like older music and then bring their music into new and for me it flipped Mm. like for me it was like early on i listened to a lot of like current what's here what's available and the in the more i i would say i've grown uh creatively and like musically the actually the more i go back to Mm. like like now all i listen to is like like dean martin etta james like uh uh louis armstrong like Mm -hmm. these old these older artists that have like long gone um that's 
dude, that's like my biggest inspiration now mm-hmm. is like pulling that and saying, okay, how can we honor that? Yeah. But modernize it and bring it to like, uh, what, what I like today, which is a lot of that electronic, but also organic blend. And so I don't know if that makes sense. No, I, I completely understand that. Cause like I personally, my era is probably more like the seventies. Like okay. The stuff yeah. from seventies really inspires me. And like, there's just a certain feeling you get when you listen to an old record. Like yeah. probably one of my favorite records is ain't no modern high enough. Now Come that's not on. the seventies. That's like, you know, sixties, but yeah. like there's something about uh, James Jamerson on the yeah. bass oh, and bro. like that whole sound and that, and that style of music really speaks to me in a way and inspires me yes. today. And so like, I'm kind of in the same way. I'm like, okay, how do I take that? And apply it to a current context. Yes. So you're almost you're kind of creating something new, but it's something old. Yeah. And so it feels yes. nostalgic and it feels fresh though too at the same 100%. time. So yeah, I completely understand that. Yeah. So like from hearing M eighty three at a show, now did yeah. you go on a path of I want to be an artist, or was it more like I want to make music, or what kind of was like the path from there? Dude, the path from there was sound. Like mm. my, I started just chasing sound and chasing textures, layers, and I I became obsessed with, um, the the sonic bed of of what was happening in music and um, hearing layers and um, hearing you know like different different sounds yeah and so for me I left there. And went home and I was like, okay, cool. I'm I'm gonna buy a Mac. No, for real. I was like, I'm gonna buy a Mac, I'm gonna buy Logic, and I'm gonna buy a plugin called Omnisphere. And I'm gonna search and this plugin has literally probably around nine thousand cents on it. And I, I knew I couldn't afford analog um at the time. And so I was like, I'm gonna buy a Mac, I'm gonna buy Omnisphere and I'm going to buy Logic. And I literally went through every single sound in Omnisphere. Mm. I mean, literally thousands of sounds. Yeah, there is. And, yeah, <laughs> it's a ton. Yeah. And so I went through every single sound. I spent, I think I spent about three, three days after school, like just going through sounds like until midnight Yeah, every, every day. And what year was this like? Oh, bro. This was... Oh man! Well, I guess technically it'd be more like how old were you then? <laughs> uh, uh, Still around I was that like, age. I was like fourteen. Okay. Yeah, maybe fifth, probably fifteen at the time. Yeah. So that would have been ten years ago. Mm-hmm. So twenty ten. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I I became obsessed with sound and production, and I wanted to know how how it worked, why it worked, um. And so I, that kind of started my production journey, to be honest with you. From that point, I was going um, to a big church and I wanted to get involved, but I wanted to get involved with drums, which is crazy. But I, so I actually started, I tried out and played for the church drums for like two years before they even knew I played keys. And, and then somehow they found out, um, I was friends with the pastor's son and he heard me play in like one random song by like the fray. <laughs> yeah. And, and he was like, Oh dude, you're playing the Sunday. And I'm like, okay, no, I'm oh. not. <laughs> uh, I was Shoot. like, just kidding. That wasn't me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, I bet. <laughs> and so, 
um, that kind of started the the like keys journey for me. Um, I I just became obsessed, man. I'm such a a goal person. I'm such a like. I just, I'm a hundred percent and whatever I'm doing, I'm like all in. And so for me, I'm like, okay, I want to do this. I'm going to like after school every day, I'm locking myself in my room and I'm going to just do it, do it, do it every day until dinner, eat dinner, then go back into the room, do it, do it, do it until it's time for bed every single day. And that was, that sums up for me, um, about like ninth grade year, through 11th grade year literally that was that was my life like church and being in that room and just like going through sounds creating stuff that sounds terrible that no one should ever hear in their life because it's like awful but um for me it was learning and discovering this and um i'm so thankful man i about a year into it i started um there's a guy at um wave church dave hummel that brought me under his wing and really taught me everything he knew. He was a guy from LA, um, you know, worked on several projects. He used to be at Master Sounds here with Pharrell and um, um, Rob Olsh, um, really good friends with him. And uh, so Dave is, I'm not really sure exactly how old he is. He looks young, he looks younger than he is, I think, but he's in his like 40s, I think, late 40s now, maybe close to 50. Um, and, but he's been in the industry since he was, he dropped out of uh, his first year of college and moved to LA. And this was back in like the 90s, before computers, before like everything was digital. And so it was really cool to have his perspective and to learn under him, who was really the first generation to be full, to learn fully on analog and then have to transition, transition to, digital. to digital. Yeah. And so to learn under a guy like that was was incredible, man, because it, it taught me a lot of lessons. It taught me how to appreciate what we have, but it taught me why um, why certain things work the way they work because with the analog, everything was like hardwire, actual pieces. It was very visual. It was in your face, hands-on. But digitally, it's all like a click of the mouse kind of thing. And so, um, so he taught me a lot of like how channel inserts work and how compression works, how EQ works, how reverbs work, how mixing works, how layering works. And um, just watching him honestly doing a lot of, of work that I hated, which was mixing VOs, voiceovers for commercials. Literally, I just mixed voiceovers for commercials for him like several hours, three days a week. Um, right from Right from school, I would drive straight over and do it until probably you know six or seven um, every day for free, yeah. and and I hated it, bro, because it was like a boring dude talking, and I'm just making making his voice sound better, essentially, yeah, sweetening his audio, and so um, a lot of checkered flag commercials randomly. Oh, bet, yeah, <laughs> uh, and it was, dude, it was all over the place. I've actually been in two checkered flag commercials. Wait, for real? Yeah, man, no I did. I acted in two TV spots for, Are you serious? Uh, yeah, yeah, for checkered flag. This is like 2016 though, but yeah. No way. Yeah, I man. Bro. Okay. So that was, I don't think I was mixing by then. Mm -hmm. I definitely would have seen you and freaked out <laughs> if I was. That's hilarious, dude. I didn't yeah, know man. that. Yeah, bro. That's cool, man. 
So, but yeah, I, that was, I know I'm kind of all over the place, but like Dave was a, a pinnacle, uh, season in my life because that I knew what I wanted, but Dave really gave me the tools, um, in order to like achieve that. I'm about to say, that's actually something I was going to ask you. How do you close the gap on where you want to be versus where you are? Because personally I had a, in let's say 2014, I was starting to create music, mm. but I kind of just stopped because yeah. I was like, I don't like how this sounds. Mm. This doesn't sound good. Mm. It sounds like garbage because yeah. I didn't know mixing. I was still learning mixing, but I didn't know. Definitely. And I just kind of gave up on creating yeah. music, not playing music, but yeah. creating it. 100%. So like, what would you say to someone in a similar spot? Like, man, this sounds like garbage. I don't want to, you know, keep doing this, but 100%. how do you close that gap? Patience. I would say patience because nothing you do at the beginning is good. Like, and I think for me, I think of anything I first start doing, even if you have a lot of talent, I think when you're, when you're learning something for the first time, it's, it's going to suck. It is. And for me, I, I, I fell in love with the process of learning how to do it more than just wanting like the end result of it. And I think for me, that was key because it was not necessarily like, oh, I want to make the next hit. It was, and still is, by the way, it, um, I want to learn more than I knew yesterday. I want to discover this like, like I've never discovered it before. I want to see uh, and, and be creative like in the production process and not just for the sake of the product, but for the sake of, of enjoying the process of getting that product. Yeah. Mm. If that makes sense. No, that makes sense because like for me, sometimes like I sit down and I'm like, man, I'm going to create my next song yeah. that's going to blast people out the way. But then like I just, <laughs> yeah. it just ends up being crappy versus like me yeah. just like kind of exploring an idea. Yeah. And a lot of times those are like your best sounding stuff when you just leave yourself that room for experimentation to just create something. 100%. Because I feel like it you connect on a deeper level with it versus you yeah. like being very like, I'm going to create this. Exactly. Yeah, I, I 100% agree, man. I think I remember, Josh, I remember, oh man, it was, I'm trying to remember how many years ago, but I remember <laughs> the very first song. Uh, We're it so was, old. <laughs> it was like, I know, right? <laughs> That's old man. Uh, 10 years ago. I'm only ago. 25. Okay. Uh, no, Same. I think it was like, uh, it was it was for Royal Youth at Wave. And I think it was. And that was like kind of a youth praise team type yeah, thing. It was, okay. it was our youth team at the time. I was I was in middle school, high school, um, and I I want to say this was probably like six years ago, maybe mm -hmm. maybe five years ago. Um, yeah, it might have been like five, maybe six years ago. Uh, but regardless, it was the first time I had an idea. I heard something in my head mm. from start to finish. And it was the first time I actually executed it. Yeah. And I was so stoked because prior to that, the first like five years, bro, of creating and producing uh, within like a, a program like that and creating from scratch, um, I would I would start out with, this is how I hear it in my head. And then I would listen to the song and how it actually like played out. And it was nothing like it. 
mm-hmm. and I would be so mad. And I'm like, dude, this is terrible. Like, this is how did I how did I end up with this? But it almost came from this place of like making rash decisions or just like throwing it in or and not sounding like I'm like I'm not happy with how it's sounding. So mm-hmm. I like move a different route and then I go there and then I'm not happy with that. So then I go another route and then I'm not happy with that. And so then you deviate. And then <laughs> like for me, like I'll end up with something that I'm like, dude, this is not what I started out with at all. Like it's terrible. Mm-hmm. And and it's really putting out fires rather than creating. Mm-hmm. And um and then for me that that song was like a breaking point of like, dude, I'm actually enjoying the creative process because I hear something and we're able to like capture it. Yeah. And be happy it's with a it. Beautiful thing. And yeah. it being executed. And it dude, it took years. Mm-hmm. It took years and years. And I would say if someone is in that place right now, if someone is like, I'm learning this, I'm in the process of learning it, or I want to learn it, but I'm not where I want to be yet, I would just say, have patience and keep doing it. Like, keep doing it, keep going for it, and and find that person that you can sit under. Like, that's one big thing, dude, and I know I'll probably sound old when I say this, but I think one thing that people aren't doing today mm. is is working for free. Oh, Lord. Yeah, bro. I'll say it, bro. <laughs> I'll say it. I know it's hard, but working for free. And for me, I'm so lucky. I'm so thankful, bro. I was able to jump in to music when I was like 14. So I a, a little part of my background with that is when I jumped in with Dave, I started interning three days a week in middle school. And that's crazy. Yeah, which was crazy for me. So I was leaving school, driving straight there, interning three days a week. And I remember there was like a solid, there was a few times in a row that I showed up like maybe, and not even that late, like five minutes late, maybe 10 minutes late. School got out late. There was traffic, whatever it was. And, and Dave was like, dude, are you serious about this or not? Mm. And I was like, shoot, bro. I gotta like, I gotta think this through. And I remember, bro, I, I had to make a decision and this was, um, so we, he was, so there was a time period where he was like, we're done because he was like, you're not taking this serious. Mm. And I was like, dang, bro. Like I, I love this. This is my, you know? And so I, it, that really threw me, but it's exactly what I needed because I had to go, I had to go home thinking, holy crap, bro. Like, did I just like throw out the the very thing that I'm like in love with? Like what, what am I doing? Wow. And, um, there was like three years where, or not three years, I'm sorry, three months where, where he was like, like, this is it. Like, you're, like you're done. And three months later I called him and I was like, Dave, like, you know, I apologize. And I was like, this won't happen again. I'm not going to be late. Don't worry about it. I want to meet with you. Like, this is my life. I have to do this. And uh, he gave me a second chance, bro. But what it required, dude, I dropped out of school. Not many people know this. What? I dropped out, but (laughs) But I had a plan though. Cause so my parents are very like passionate, like, hey, like follow your dreams. We're going to support your dreams. I mean, my studios at my parents' house, literally, they're, they're incredible human beings. A lot of what I am walking in today is because of them. I'm so thankful. Shout out to my parents. 
Um, woo woo. But um, they they wanted a plan. They were like, "So you're not just dropping out of high school? Like that's not a thing, bro. Like you're going to college too." Um, and which I wanted to do. So for me, it wasn't like, "Oh, I hate school." Mm-hmm. It was, I love music so much that I don't want anything to get in the way of it. And um, that so crazy. I had I had to learn. I had to figure this out, bro. And so <laughs> basically, long story short. I started doing high school online, mm-hmm. basically homeschool, so that I could intern. Ah, yes. So I literally finished I finished my high school online, not because I hated school or didn't want have friends at mm-hmm. school, but literally so I can intern and be like at at wave with this guy, Dave. Yeah. And keep in mind, like I was getting zero money from this. Like this was free. So I interned with him for three years for free. Whoa. Like for free. Like I'm saying like 20 to 30 hours a week mm. for free. And you dropped out of school. <laughs> and I dropped out of high school. So I'm I'm just saying like, you know, everyone wants to produce the hit. Everyone wants to like have the product. But are we willing to go through the three years of working for someone else, not getting any credit, not getting any finance? Like, and a lot of people are like, oh crap, like I can't afford to work for free for someone. And for me, I'm like, well, you're wearing freaking brand new Jordans. Uh, oh, oh, uh, uh, hey, you're wearing Yeezys. Stay out of my personal life, man. <laughs> like for me though, I'm like, dude, like, like you can't afford, you can't afford to work for free, but you're walking around with like $700 shoes on right yeah. now. Like, <sighs> man, you know what I'm that's saying? That's powerful, man. Like, like I'm not trying to be mean or anything, but I'm like, I think that, that we have we have gotten away from like solid work ethic hard work putting it in and and not complaining and not being like frustrated with it but mm. genuinely like man I'm doing this because I you know in 10 years it's going to pay off but <laughs> which like, it has <laughs> yeah well dude it's I'm just now seeing it right mm-hmm. but this is like this is like 10 11 years into you know, into the game. But see, people don't see this. Yeah. Like, I didn't know this. Like, yeah. you dropped out of school. <laughs> yeah, like, bro. but like, that behind the scenes work, like, even though, because I'm kind of in a similar season of building and building and learning and learning. Yeah. And so sometimes I'm like, dang, this is hard. I don't yeah. feel like getting up today. Like, I didn't feel like getting up this morning. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm here. I'm working. I'm hustling. That's right, bro. But like, yeah, it's going to pay off one day. 100% it will. But yeah. it's, it's the patience game. It's the thing of like, I'm not going to quit. Like, I'm not even... Even if I feel like it, even if it's hard, even if no one else is working right now, mm-hmm. like that's dude, the studio out. I mean, we just had a session. Our hours in here are like 12, 12, 13 hour days. You know, mm-hmm. we're in here at like 730 in the morning. We don't, we don't stop. Like it's like nonstop going, going, going. Yeah. And so, but no one sees that. They see the song, mm-hmm. but they don't see like all of the blood, sweat and tears, all of the process, mm-hmm. everything that goes into like the creation process. Right. And so I think for me, it's it's not becoming obsessed with the song. It's becoming obsessed with the process of creating the song mm-hmm. because that's what's going to sustain you. Yeah. And that's what's going to be the fuel that keeps the songs coming, that keeps whatever you're doing, like going. Because if not, you're it's 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 short-term thinking. Like for me, it's mm-hmm. like, it's uh, 
it's just like short-term satisfaction yeah. of like, oh, I just want to do this in the quickest way. And our culture is like that. And there's some things that are that come quick, you know. But I I would say that man for anyone that's in that gap of like, you know, I'm not where I want to be. I would say figure out a way where you can if you if you can't afford to work for free, figure out a way that you can work what you need to work to -hmm. pay your bills and all of that. And every moment of free time is going to, to that um, passion or that desire. Like no more sitting and watching Netflix for like seven hours a day. You know what I mean? Like there's like there, you know what I'm saying? But again, it goes back to like, what What do do you love? Yeah. Yeah. What do you really want? Yeah. Like for me, I'm like, dude, if you love, if you love that, then do that. But don't complain about like, I'm like, you know, I meet people and, and, and they're like complaining about where they're at. They're complaining about, you know, by this age, I thought I would be here. I would be doing this. And and they hate their life and they hate where mm. they're at. And I'm like, bro, but what are you doing to change that? Like, yeah. if, you, if you don't like where you're at, then stop doing what you're doing. Like, stop watching Netflix for seven hours a day and and going out to eat four days a week and Mm -hmm. like all this stuff even with you know kelsey and i my wife and i we're we're saving a lot in the season and we're trying to you know hunker in on a budget and so we we um you know we're budgeting a lot and we're saving money in our budgets a lot tighter than what's coming in Mm -hmm. um because we have goals like in the long term yeah and so we could eat out more like we could we could be, you know, working less. We could not, <laughs> we could not like be working on Saturdays, be hustle. Like we could not schedule out all of our day and be planned and, and get off early and just hang out with one another. And we do that as well, but, but we have a goal in mind. And so we're, we're willing to sacrifice, man, like we're not going to, we're not going to go on a date three days this week. <laughs> we're going to pick one date and then we're going to eat at the house, yeah. you know, we're going to, we're going to be smart about buying groceries and save money, live better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like bring our lunch to work, you know, like even if we could afford to, to go to freaking taste unlimited and like all these places are great. Right. Yeah. But I'm like, dude, you're going to spend $15 for lunch when you could have like brought home, like brought over leftovers. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like for yeah. me, it's like, these are the things that add up at the end of the month. And, um, in, mm. And for me, it's like, are we willing to sacrifice these things to get what we want? Right. You know? So I don't know if that makes sense. I know that's no, like no, straight no, up. But. No, no, no. That's, that's the real, real. We talk real on this show. Um, now, how did you go from interning at, at uh, with Dave to like eventually making a living through this? Or, or like, how did that transition begin? Yeah, bro. So I, I could feel... I could feel the grace leaving, I would say, mm-hmm. of interning. And um, it was really the like beginning of college years. Mm-hmm. I could see that like I'm starting, you know, I'm starting to get the hang of it. Like I'm still here, I'm still serving, but I think I need to start backing down. And Dave was great. He saw he saw that coming too. He was mm-hmm. like, Man, I've, I think I've poured a lot, you know, into Stu over the last three years. Like, you know, I think it's time to kind of let him explore more and i'm still here if he has questions and stuff but it's no more like teaching him like the basics and um how what really launched that man is um still being there and um being able to do like different uh, projects in the studio there 
um, not having at that point, not having a studio of my own. Um, and so really I used the church studio for a lot of, a lot of different projects. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, having Dave's like input and advice of like, Oh, you know, like what's, you know, what needs to be better here, you know, what's missing here. And I would recommend like everyone needs that no matter how advanced you are, or you're just starting out, like having people that listen to your mixes and your production that give you real advice, not mm -hmm. just the pat on the back. Like I love your music because you're my cousin, but <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? But like, yeah, I like genuinely like, you know, you know, telling you what, you know, the high ends need to come up or man, like I'd love to see the vocals come out more or, like the bass is too muddy or whatever it is, but yeah. like genuine advice, um, crucial in every season in regards to the music side of things. But, um, uh, yeah, how it launched, I, I would say like super organically, like starting there and then throughout college, I started building out like what I owned gear wise. And so, um, whenever I did a project, I would buy, start buying gear. Um, and then really just having like within my bedroom, like a basic setup. So I already had a Mac at that point, you know, mm -hmm. I had logic and Omnisphere cause that was several years down the road, but, yeah. um, I wanted to get a solid interface, but again, like it started for me from like, I remember my first interface was a Tascam interface, bro. A Tascam, a Tascam <laughs> interface, bro. This thing was 16 inputs and like 150 bucks. Is it like a like a like a little mini mixer board? It or? was not. It was like kind of a rack mount. Okay. Um, but it it had 16 inputs, and it was like the cheapest interface, but with like the amount of inputs that I needed. Yeah. And it sounded so bad <laughs> that literally like. Oh, dude, I don't know what I was thinking, but that's all I could afford at the time. Mm -hmm. And I needed the inputs. And so, um, yeah, I think for me, it's not been a quick game at all. Like, mm -hmm. I'm just now getting to a place where this is, like, you know, doable and this is, like, professional. And honestly, where I'm even, like, holy crap, like, this is what I get to do. Like, I just realized that, like, a couple months ago. Mm -hmm. And again, like, we're, like, 11 years in. And not everyone's story is like that. Some people are quicker, some people are slower. But um, for me, it's um, having that patience, but then slowly growing it, like buying gear, you know, bringing on another project, local friends, other other people in this area that want to record an EP or an album. Yeah. And they're like, oh, Stu produces, let's connect with him. Yeah, so was it like word of mouth? Was it like you reaching out to people? Or like how did you go about kind of building that to be able to have like your own studio today? For sure. Yeah. I, it was definitely a lot of word of mouth. Um, it was treating clients like their family, um, like pouring everything into every project, not like slacking, but like being a hundred percent being real, being creative, but also like listening. Oh my gosh, bro. This was like, if there's any key for me on like what a good producer does, the number one thing is listen. Mm-hmm. The number one thing, um, when artists come in, the number one thing I want to do is I want to listen. I want to listen to any demos they have. I want to listen to any voice memos they have. And I want to sit down and listen. What is your vision for the song? Mm -hmm. What do you hear, you know, when you, when you come in and how can I 
like achieve that with you. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so, yeah, word of mouth was a, a crucial part. Um, being at a church that was so big, there were so many people that loved music and, and did music. And mm-hmm. so that was like the the number one, like kind of like obvious thing was like, oh man, like Stu produced the church album or Stu produced the youth album. Like let's, let's connect with Stu. And then from there is filtering through like saying no mm-hmm. was like the hardest thing for me. Yeah. But filtering through like, who can I spend time with? Right. Because I can't spend time with everyone, but who who are going to be the people that are going to be the long-term people that are going to be um, connected and not just want a favor from Stu, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, that are like willing to also put that 100% in as well. That was crucial for me. And I've seen that, man. I've seen, there's a couple of guys that like, were some of my first projects and they're and we're still friends. We still talk. They want to do more songs now. Yeah. And so it's cool to see that years later, when you do the right thing and are treating people right and putting one hundred percent in, like they're gonna turn around and and come back to you every time. Cause that's not normal like the case isn't normally like that. It's yeah. it's normally like, oh I'm a producer. This is my sound. When you come to me, this is what I'm gonna do. And Maybe we can tweak things here and there, but this is what I think it should be. Mm-hmm. Versus, hey, what are you guys like? What are you here? What are you, you know? Yeah, and- I've seen that because you know I just did this track with you, and I definitely saw that. Like you weren't just like, yeah, we should do it like this, this, but you were like, okay, what is the kind of the song needs, and let's mm-hmm. kind of see how we can make this sound like what your vision is. And I really felt like mm. when I recorded with you, you really brought out like both times I've done with you, like mm. what my vision was for mm. the song. So I definitely appreciate Thank that. You, bro. Yeah. yeah, it's it's important, man, to listen. And I think everyone desires to feel heard. Mm-hmm. You know, every artist, you hear like the number one complaint with artist production, like relationships is the artist says, well, I just didn't feel heard or I, I didn't feel like my opinion mattered as an artist and the producer ran with his vision and idea, but I didn't really feel like there wasn't this like gel. Yeah. And for me, that's been a huge thing is like, man, I gotta, I gotta listen Mm -hmm. as much as I talk. I'm a huge talker. Like I'm listening even more Mm. like, and so that's a huge, like for me, that's a huge component for that as well. So when you were starting to work with people where you, I know now you do engineering, producing and mixing. Um, but initially were you just doing engineering and producing or were you mixing as well or kind of doing all of it or, Bro, that's a great question. I was kind of doing all of it only because I had to. Yeah. Um, we didn't have a budget to do like to hire anyone right. for I, anything. Right. I feel like that's when you're uh, yeah, I, I've been kind of thinking about that like on a from a local standpoint. Yeah. I know you work with people all over, but from a local standpoint, like a lot of times they don't have the budget to, to hire three people in the room, a producer, an engineer, and then, you know, maybe like someone, I don't know, like setting up the mics and stuff like that. But like yeah. Obviously you want to get to that point where you may be able to separate the roles out, yeah. but like starting off, it's almost like you kind of have to learn both before you can specialize, if that makes sense. I don't know. No, definitely. Yeah, that and I again I go back to Dave Hummel, man. Mm-hmm. Like so much credit to him because he he actually his expertise was and I didn't even mention this earlier, but the majority of work we did was um like video games. Mm-hmm. So like video games sound design. Yeah. So like weird sounds that you hear like on car games when you're like scrolling through the the menu and you hear like clicking sounds mm-hmm. and like just mm. random stuff. Yeah. Like that's what we would design. Mm. And so because of that, 
Dave was naturally just really good at everything he did. So like he did not only like music, but the majority of stuff I did with Dave actually was not music at all. Mm. Like the majority of stuff I did with Dave was all like like sound effects and like um like making people's voices sound better, like legit. Yeah. And because of that, it taught me the mixing side. It taught me like how to create like like weird sounds. Mm-hmm. Um and then uh, it taught me, yeah, like a lot of the engineering side also came from Dave. He was less of an engineer, I would okay. say. Like we would definitely record, like recording live albums, that that will throw you into the fire immediately <laughs> um, because you have like live albums are so tricky. Yeah. Um, and he helped tremendously with that. But yeah, he was more of like kind of the guy with one mic in the studio, um, not necessarily like an engineer of like, recording live drums room noise phasing like Mm -hmm. all those issues that come with it um but youtube tremendously helped um talking with guys like rob olsh Mm -hmm. um and dave knew you know quite a bit about it as well but like on a practice level it wasn't until i got my own space and i was just testing it out like doing it doing it doing it and that's really for me how yeah, I think engineering is just as creative, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's not creating sound, but I think how you how you mic rooms, how you mic instruments, um, your decision on what mics to use and um, the positioning of mics and all of that kind of stuff for me, like that's super creative because every every decision completely um yeah, every every decision affects how it sounds. Yeah, really, you know. So even to the point of how the drums are set up in the room. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense at all. Yeah, but. I get that. So now I'm going to move more a little bit into on the business side of things. Sweet. So because we always talk business on this yeah, show. Bro. Um. So like, what are kind of like your streams of income for like for music? I know you obviously produce, but like I know I've seen you do some composing as well. Like, what's kind of helped you kind of supplement? you know, let's say I don't have a lot of producing projects right now, but I'm composing for this or what's kind of been like your thing for managing that as a musician? Yeah, for sure, man. And it's really cool. Um, The Lord has like really divinely like guided things to where it's like when projects for engineering or production are slow, out of the blue, he'll like send projects for like mixing mm-hmm. and mastering and like just like random stuff that I'm <laughs> like, dude, this is totally the Lord. Cause I, I like have not planned any of this, but he knows exactly what is needed. Yeah. Um, and so to answer your question, it's kind of like a, a bunch of different ways. Um, I would say like the nickels and dimes business is in royalties right now for me is like, um, writing, and production Mm. like royalties and so whenever we release a song um i try to negotiate depending on who it is like with you i i didn't and i wouldn't probably um at least for now but um (laughs) negotiate like like taking like one percent or up to you know if i'm writing on it or if i wrote the track right Mm -hmm. so like for you i do a lot of engineering and mixing Mm -hmm. but um if i were to like be producing with you (coughs) excuse me or um, writing with you. Um, and that could be writing music as well. So like yeah. helping out with chords or like production, whatever that looks like, um, mm-hmm. then there would be a percentage. And so every time that song gets played or spun at radio or, 
whatever it is, like I'm getting a percentage of that. Yeah. Is that like producer's comp or what is the name of that term or? Yeah. Producer's comp or just like, like royalties. royalties. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a bunch of like different, um, uh, like ways revenue can come in, um, through that. But again, it's like nickels and dimes. So it's Mm -hmm. literally like it adds up, you know, but it's not, you're not going to be making, like a living just on that right now for yeah. me, unless you're like Chris Tomlin or mm-hmm. <laughs> like you write like something that blows up, like and is massive. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I have the, the royalty aspect for sure. Um, engineering, like what I would do with you, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, producing and, um, mixing as well. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, like the past two weeks, I haven't had like a recording session in here at all, but um, I've I've been mixing an album right mm-hmm. now. And so it's really, it's honestly really convenient because I can come in and not see anyone or like have to do anything, but I'm just like working on my computer mixing. Um, mm-hmm. So, but all of those kind of add up together and yeah. um, ebb and flow. And some, honestly, a lot of projects that I'm doing, um, now kind of in, in, encompass all of it, like mm-hmm. the engineering production, mixing and mastering. I love to send my mastering off. Um, I honestly, I, I, I do all of it, but I don't love doing all of it. Yeah. I'd rather have different professionals like in different ways because they have new perspectives. They have a new way of looking at it. Um, and, but I have been doing a lot more mixing now. Mm-hmm. Um, I did it at the beginning of music, like when I first got in, but then I just didn't like it. I was like, man, like, I feel like I need someone with a fresh perspective. So I kept sending my stuff to this guy in Nashville and he was a great guy. I loved working with him, but I, I found that I would, I would produce a song and I would know in my head where I wanted things to sit like in the mix mm-hmm. and then send him the raw tracks and it start from scratch. Mm-hmm. And now it's like trying to like explain to him almost where I had the mix. Yeah. I just hadn't cleaned it up yet. Right. And so now I'm like, Oh man, like why don't I just do the mix here? Like I'm already 80% of the way. Mm-hmm. It just needs to be cleaned up now. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I've been loving mixing here actually. Cause it's, that's, that's a huge part of it, you know? So, yeah, those are the main. Uh, also, I forgot to mention, like, um, uh, composing. Yeah, so for like uh, short films or um, commercials, um, any type of like video stuff, I've done. I've done a few projects like that. Of that's, I love doing that. Mm-hmm. It's my goal. One day on my like bucket list is <laughs> to score a movie, like nice. a full length uh, movie. I, yeah, I'm stoked. I know it's gonna happen, but I don't know when. But yeah. Um, legit and then yeah the other way too is um is a couple of companies that i've partnered with um that um i don't know how to explain it it's like music licensing yeah yeah so like videos yeah like video guys or uh video production teams or filmmakers and stuff like that they they go to websites a lot of times Mm -hmm. and buy um like songs that are already done 
for their videos. Right. Um, and so I'm on a few websites as well. Oh, good. Uh, okay. For that. And so like if, yeah, so if you're, you know, scrolling through and want to buy a song. So yeah, and again, it's nickels and dimes. Like you're mm-hmm. not getting paid millions of dollars from companies like uh, Musicbed and um, yeah, like, yeah, music licensing companies, but it it's it adds up though. You know, several hundred it could be over the course of a year, or right. depending on how many people use it. If it's for film, then it it could be way more. Or, you right. know, it really just depends. Right, so. but it you would say that it's not impossible for as a creative to make a living. Not at all, dude. Not at all. But it requires so a good rule of thumb for me. I with a like with me being completely self-employed i i have to create my own like weekly schedule mm-hmm. and if not then i'll i'll just be all over the place and chaos it's reactive living and i i just can't do that and so i create my own schedule and um That's the, good. i'm in the studio for um right now i'm in the studio about two to three days a week mm-hmm. um and then for about eight hours to 10 hours a week, I have scheduled on top of the studio, just going into research for music and the music industry, mm. how to create revenue, income, uh, tidying it up like the all the companies I'm working with for music licensing and um, reaching out to like new companies and emailing people and re- like literally just like going out asking people, hey, like I know you're a video production company. Do you guys need any music? I have like a huge library. Mm. Would love to work with you. And literally for like eight to 10 hours a week, yeah, like pushing literally just on like the business side, like the admin, the not fun, not creating mm. music side. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of creatives like miss that it's like, oh, we want to create, we want to create, we want to create, we want to be in the studio, we want to make more music, mm. but they completely miss the side of, well, I don't know how to make money doing this. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Man. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know. And so they think it's a, a far off dream. Like, I need to go get a job at a coffee shop Yeah. while I try to make music and put it on SoundCloud. And it's like, dude, like, there's a lot of people I know that are crazy creative, really talented, talent, more talented than me, mm. like way more talented than me. But... It's it's a mindset thing to where it's like I I want to create but then I'm gonna keep you know working this like minimum wage job over here and mm. I'm not gonna research about the business side and I'm not gonna discover you know what's working in the market what are people listening to how are people listening to it yeah like how 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 are creatives making money how are they making passive income and mm, passive all, income like all of these <laughs> yeah, things yeah. you know what i'm yeah, saying it's like, a whole other world man 100 percent. yeah but we put so much emphasis on the music that we go broke because we have no idea how people are hearing it mm-hmm. and it's like dude like we have all this music but who's listening to it you know what I mean? Mm. Wow, that's good. So on the business side of things, how do you balance investing in your business, like you know, pouring money into your business versus like paying yourself? Like mm. how do you balance the two of, I need to get more gear, I also need a little more money right now as yeah. like a, someone that's like a, not really, a, well, I guess you can say a freelancer in a sense, but like how do you balance that of investing in your business versus investing in yourself? Yeah, no, that's a good question, man. Um, the simple answer 
that might not be good enough for some people, but it has been for me, is asking the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, so as believers, like we have the Holy Spirit that's guiding us and leading us, right? And so Kelsey and I went up to the mountains at the beginning of January, and and for three years, or for, again, three years, three days, um, spent uh, all day, morning to night, writing out um uh, goals and mm-hmm. we wrote out these goals but it was using a worksheet okay that didn't just like write down a ton of goals but it's it it you wrote down goals in certain um, categories categories relationships then, family yeah but then you use this like bracket system mm-hmm. that narrowed it into like what are my action what steps. are my nine main goals for the year mm-hmm. and then you do action steps mm-hmm. to actually accomplish that yeah and one of my goals was spending a certain amount for studio gear for the year. And, but that goal came when I sat down and asked the Holy spirit and we're, you know, talking through it. And I'm like, what is, what seems right? And he gave me a number. And so, um, for me, I'm, I never want to live from like a lack mentality or a survival mentality. Um, you know, but to me, it's always, a thriving mindset and abundance mindset, a, a mindset that's like, I'm not living check to check, but, um, you know, I, I want to be a good steward of, of what I've been given and mm-hmm. I want to be, um, yeah, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm spending my money wisely, but at the end of the day, like it costs money to make money. And if I'm not willing to make the sacrifice to pour back into the business, then, then it's not really like that's not even the point really like i need to be i need to be growing the business mm-hmm. um as well as like the gear and yeah. uh keeping everything up to date and so i always i kind of make a joke of it but i always try to buy at this point um like a big piece once a year so like something that's like going to be like holy crap this is a big difference mm-hmm. um once a year and then um and then once a quarter like making purchases that I need that would that would also help like increase, but they're not going to be thousands of dollars uh, for me right now. But there's always a continual like I'm always researching. Mm-hmm. What do I need? What do I need? What what would be the best you know thing for me to buy? And it's really case by case scenario of like what what do you need based off of the the majority of um, artists that come in here. Mm-hmm. What what are they recording with? What are they desiring? You know what kind like what mics sound good with their genres? Um, what preamps sound good with their genres? And yeah. so for me, like this past year, uh, I bought like a new preamp, and it's literally one of my favorite purchases that I've gotten. But this year, I want to buy more. Mm-hmm. So like this year, I want to get a couple more, and that way, um, I can run it in stereo, and I can just build out some more. And, um, and so I'm kind of right in the process right now of dialing in, um, what do I desire to have? Not because I have to have it, Mm -hmm. but I know if I get, you know, these two pieces, it's going to elevate the quality. It's going to elevate what comes out. And so I don't know if that makes sense, but really going, um, taking an inventory of what I currently have and seeing, Man, like these are areas that are kind of slacking right now, and I and I need to make sure like this is like solid. Mm-hmm. 
Man, that's, that's a lot of good information. I know we've been going a little bit long, so let me see if I can kind of wrap it up. I got like three more questions. Um, how do you find the balance of uh, the creative process and then also production efficiency? I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. So like, and one of the businesses I co-own, we're kind of trying to find the balance of like, how can we increase profit, but like do less. But a lot of the stuff we're trying to cut out, I'm like, I actually kind of like this process, mm-hmm. like as far as doing this thing but I understand that for efficiency sake, we can't really do it the way we want to. So like, how do you find that balance of, I'm trying to scale up my business as a creative, but I need to kind of be more efficient, Hmm. but I don't want to be more efficient in some things. I don't know. How do you balance that? Yeah, man, that's a brilliant question. Uh, When I first started producing, I struggled with that a lot. And now it's, it's become more of a lifestyle, but it still has to be cognitive because it can get out of hand if not. Mm-hmm. But when I first started producing, I'll give you an example for music. Like um, I, I would spend, we would record something, um, say like um, a, a vocal, and I would spend literally hours finding the right reverb for the vocal. Mm-hmm. Like hours, like literally would spend like eight, nine hours oh, wow. on a reverb, <laughs> on a reverb bro, until like it was perfect. And um, yeah, and for me, I ha- I realized quickly um, that I had to change the way I was thinking about it, the, the way I was doing things. And so um, I, I personally believe how to balance the creative process and being efficient. I believe that there is a there is a healthy pressure that actually produces even more creativity when you set when you set like timelines mm-hmm. on certain things. And I think for me it allows me to be even more focused and so if in my head I'm like okay, I want to be done with this in this amount of time. Yeah. It forces me to be super creative within that boundary. And to me, I think as creatives, sometimes we look at time or we look at um, events and we think, man, like there's no boundaries to being creative. And I think that's completely wrong. I think mm. there's, I think the 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 most creative that we operate um, is within boundaries. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, does that make sense? Yeah. Like Michael Jackson's Thriller album, they made that in eight weeks. Shoot. Like they, that's one of the best albums of all time. And like they had a time constraint and they were able to create this amazing piece of work that still stands today with a time constraint, you know? Dude, the first EP I did ever for our youth group at Wave, and I kid you not, on the record, it literally took six months to do five songs mm-hmm. and we were doing it pretty much every day oh yes. no yes bro oh yes no. bro i'm not joking i was like well you know song a month Dude, but no you said no, every no, day no. no no like literally this was our job yes and thankfully i was in middle school and like early high school and so it was like oh, okay after school we're gonna spend eight hours on this but lit- so we, you know, it's like, okay, like we don't really have anything else to do. But because of that mindset of like, we don't really have anything else to do. We spent literally six months doing five songs. You can ask, there's two other guys, Sam and, and Chris um, and Davey actually too. And dude, it took way too 
long. Mm. And and I believe that it was because there was a lack of boundaries. Mm. I believe it was because there was no uh, deadlines of yeah. time and not and 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 this is kind of a, a tangent on deadlines. Like I'm approaching it a lot differently. I once um, had my business coach um, explain this concept to me, and it completely shifted how I looked at timelines and deadlines and goals. Uh, because a lot of people, including myself, we would um, we would set a uh, deadline, and then we would say, "Okay, what do I what do I need to do today to get me to there?" Mm-hmm. And and he completely changed my thought on this by explaining um, how a GPS works. Hmm. And and so when when I wake up, like I drove to here, um, and I put it in my GPS in Google Maps, yeah. and was like, "Okay, I want to go here." What what the maps does? I didn't realize this, bro. But the GPS actually starts at the at the destination. So the the satellite starts at the destination of where you're ending and it works its way backwards to where you are. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's not setting goals from here to there, but it's actually setting goals from there to here. Hmm. So it's bat it's reverse engineering wow. where you want to be yeah. and backtracking it to what I need to be doing today. Mm-hmm versus thinking like oh if i just do this if i do this and then tomorrow i do this but literally reversing it and saying okay well that's if that's it then let's let's just do the reverse pattern i don't know if that makes sense but it really it really shaped the way i started looking at like deadlines and goals um instead of like okay i need to i need to record this tomorrow i need to mix this tomorrow but it's like okay no if i have one month to do that where do i need to be the day before that's due yeah where do mm. I need to be the day before that? It's due? subtle, but it's very different at the same time. Yeah. Because like, I feel like if you're like, well, I need, yeah, that's so true because like, I'll be kind of like pie in the sky. Yeah, I need to do this tomorrow. But like when you work backwards, like I think I did that for my Christmas album. I was like, yeah. I, because I, I announced it at a show, like I'm putting out a Christmas album. This is like September. And then I was like, crap, what do I need to do to get to, <laughs> to have that release crap, I gotta date? I actually do this now. Right, exactly. <laughs> so like, but it was like, you know, you, I kind of backtracked and it's like, okay, this needs to be done by this date. This needs to be done by this date. This needs to be done by this date. And then it's like, okay, bam, I've got it. Versus 100%. like, well, you know, I guess I'll work on a song tomorrow, you know, exactly. you know, bet, you know. 100%. It's so true because it, it, can lead to like um, procrastination mm-hmm. and it could, but it could also lead to a lot of stress yeah. because we feel like we have to do the album tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hang on a second. I don't have to do the whole album tomorrow. I just have to, I have to write the verse by tomorrow. And then the next day I have to write the chorus by the next day. And then, oh, and then by the next day I have to write the, the whole song or whatever it is. But it's realizing really quickly that I don't have to do the whole thing because my dude, this is like ultimately my personality and I've and I've fought this but I feel like I have to conquer the world every day mm-hmm. and <laughs> I dude I'm not even kidding I lay down in bed at night and I'm like bro there's so much more to do I'm gonna crush it tomorrow yes yeah there's so much more to do and sometimes it keeps me up dude and my mind's spinning and my head's like dude do do yeah like you know there's so much whatever I'm kind of the same but, way yeah I keep a notebook by my bed because if I don't That's write it down smart. I'm just gonna just think about it for yes. like two hours 100 <laughs> percent dude I cannot tell you how many times that that's happened to me but I think for me having having key 
elements of, and everyone's different, but um, having key elements of what defines a successful day. And, mm. and by the end of the day, can I ask myself, was today successful based off of the parameters that I've set, mm-hmm. no one else, but I've set with the Holy Spirit, and I can genuinely answer that, that I can rest well. Mm-hmm. But if, but for me, it's it's living on purpose every single day. And if we live on purpose every day, then we'll meet the goals. We'll be where, where we desire to be in the long term. But it's requiring every decision today. I forget the question, bro. I'm not even going to lie. <laughs> Shoot, I forgot. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying, though? I yeah, don't know yeah, if that yeah. makes sense. But yeah, that's good. What was the question, though? Uh... <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I'm looking at my notes. I, I hope I answered something it. Something about efficiency or something. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think just having having the awareness, having the creative awareness of have I spent way too long on this one thing that really doesn't matter that much? What are the priorities? What's the goal? What do I actually want to accomplish by today? Because mm-hmm. that will tell me how much time I can spend. A lot of time. Dude, we did a session a month ago where a girl from... Um, from Sacramento, California, came out for eight hours mm. and did three songs in eight hours. Mm. Two from scratch, like nothing. Oh, snap. Literally nothing. One was tracking vocals, yeah. but then two songs literally from scratch in eight hours. And her flight left. Her flight came at 6.30 a.m. Yeah. And her flight left at 9 p.m. Mm. So literally, we had like this tiny gap of time to do three songs. And so for me, I had to work out in my head and even write down whatever you are. If you're visual, if you're auditory, whatever you are. Like for me, I, I love seeing it and um, like thinking through it. Mm. Um, but I had to write out, you know, what is every moment of today going to look like? Because we have zero time to waste, mm. right? And so I'm not going to be spending four hours on the the last phrase of her verse vocal. It's just not going to, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And, and if she's not getting it, then she's just not getting it. I, I'm sorry, but it's like, I'll have 17 takes for it. And if we need to pick through one or yeah. piece them together, then we will. But it wouldn't be it wouldn't be doing the project justice. Like she's coming here to do three songs. So we're doing three songs mm-hmm. and we're not going to cut corners and, we're going to be happy with the end product, right? but we're not going to be so perfectionist that we never get it done yeah. as well. And I think killing that like perfectionist thing for me was the hardest thing. And that dude, that I think perfectionism uh, with highly creative people, like, dude, oh my gosh, one of the most brilliant things um, that I've heard is, is critique while creating stifles creativity. Mm, yeah, I've seen that. And for me, it's like, dude, if we're critiquing while we're creating, if we're being overly perfectionate as we're creating, then it's going to stifle every creative bone in our body. Right. Because I think about it from a writer's it. perspective, like they really recommend writers just to get it out, get that draft out 100%. first. 100%. Then go back into editing mode, but like you have to get it out first. Yes, bro. 100%. But so many people operate in fear. And, and worry and doubt and insecurity. And it's like, man, is this even good enough? I don't even know, so I'm not gonna do it, but maybe I should do it because it might be good. And there's this battle internally where we're now not even thinking creatively, we're thinking about ourselves. Mm. We're thinking about failing. And for me, it's like breaking, breaking that fear and really just experimenting. And I believe, fully believe, bro, that the more that we discover 
our identity, the more we discover who we are, the the actually more creative we'll be. Mm-hmm. Everyone. I don't think there's a set group of like these people are only creatives. These people aren't. I think everyone's called to be creative. I think some people struggle struggle with it more or don't ever discover what they're creative with um, or how they can use it in the in the actual world. But I think for me, the more we discover who we are and our, our core identity, the actually more creative we'll be because we're less worried about other people's perceptions of who we are. We're, we're less worried about uh, fear of man, right? And, and fear of failure and we're just creating because mm-hmm. I don't get my my definition of who I am from someone else. Mm-hmm. And so when, I, when I'm not reliant on someone else's um, uh, thoughts of who I am, I can be creative and suck at it and fail and, and go for a note and miss it and hit a note and my voice crack or play something and it's like, ah, that wasn't the chord because I'm not living in this box of what is so-and-so thinking? What is so-and-so thinking? What if this sucks? What if this isn't mm. good enough? What if I'm not good enough? What if I'm not really a creative? Like all of those Preach, things, are, bro. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I think sometimes we get caught in this because we're, we're so worried about what is it going to sound like? What is it going to be like? And for me, it's like, if we can just discover that our father's in love with us, no matter what we do, then we're not pleasing anyone. You know what I mean? Shoot. I don't know. I know that's a tangent, but I think that's, that's a great way to push past the perfectionism and say, okay, this is good enough. So practically what I would do now, instead of spending nine hours on a reverb, I would find one, I would find one that I, that I like tweak it a little bit, but if it's not exactly what I like, I'll move on. I'll move on and I'll go back to it later because Mm -hmm. sometimes just like a thought that you have that you forgot about and you're like, it'll come back. Like I'm the same way with that. Like, I'm like, man, if I, if I, if I don't know exactly what I want yet, then I don't have to figure out yet. I can I can move on in the project and mm-hmm. that will still be there later. Yeah. And so if sometimes it takes time to figure out what what you do want and what sounds best. And so I'll start working on other things and then maybe I'll return to it or maybe by then it'll sound good because the other things have been shaped around it. Mm. So I wouldn't get caught in this like, oh, this has to be perfect, let's move on. That has to be perfect, let's move on. Uh, on the processing side of mm-hmm. things. Yeah. I think when you're tracking things, what you put in, you're going to get out. And so if you're trying, if you're just putting in crap and you're trying to cover it with good mixing, good pitch correction, stop, re-record it, get it right. It's It needs to sound good if the capability is within the artist to make it sound good. Mm-hmm. But reading the room and reading the talent is, is crucial as well. Because if you're trying... If you're expecting a, like a pitch perfect performance from someone who can't really sing, then you're going to be in the studio for eight hours. Better slap that auto tune on there. Exactly, son. bro. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That pitch correction. Cool, yeah. man. Well, this has been so invaluable, man. Like it's been such really good information. All right. Uh, last quick fire round. What is your favorite song of all time? Oh, bro. How are you going to do me like that, man? <laughs> are you kidding me? Um, or top three. Bro, Thelonious Monk has been my go-to for like piano instrumental music Mm -hmm. he's like from oh my gosh dude it has to be like early 1900s Mm. early to mid 1900s he's this he's a jazz guy yeah but this is a really interesting story i won't go too long but he (laughs) he does jazz 
uh, early 1900s, but he wasn't professionally trained at all, mm -hmm. classically trained. And in fact, the other jazz artists of that time, like Art Tatum, yeah, one of my favorites, right? Yes. Art Tatum hated this guy. Oh, oh snap. Oh. <laughs> Dude, he hated this Come guy. Come on, Art. Because, because Art was very classically trained, was very properly trained, and he he considered Thelonious like not a real jazz pianist. Mm. And because he Thelonious Monk had weird rhythms and like ragtime and just like crazy like notes and stuff. Um and and he was actually kind of the outcast of like the jazz pianist of their time mm. because of how improper his training was. He was literally he just had a, a piano and his mom taught him how to play and he played in church. And but he was just kind of this goofy guy that would play and yeah. not proper at all. But I loved it, dude. I love Thelonious Monk, uh, Ruby, my dear, mm -hmm. for sure. Um, I would say, um, Isla Vista Worship. This guy Mark Barlow, one of my one of my favorite artists to listen to right now. Um, he released an album, but I. I, I, dude, I can't even pick a favorite song off of it. I would probably say So In Love mm -hmm. um, off of his album. Um, and then third, and this is like kind of current yeah. all the time, um, what I'm currently listening to, uh, I would say John Mark Pantana. Um, if you are a worshiper, if you are a Christian, and yes, you need to, you need to listen to him. Mm -hmm. John Mark Pantana and he has a song um, called Meet Your Maker that just came out like a month ago. Mm -hmm. Bro, every time I listen to it, I cry. Like, uh -huh. I'm not even kidding. His music is so beautiful. It's literally, it's heavenly, bro. And it's very, like, conversational. It's very, like, me and the father talking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, man, it literally is wrecking me. But all three of those combined, I would say those are the top current three, I don't know about all time favorite, yeah, yeah. but like what I'm currently listening to Thelonious Monk, Ruby, my dear, uh, Mark Barlow, um, so in love and John Mark Pantana, meet your maker. Those are top current three. Gotcha. So. Man, that's dope. All right. Last, really last question <laughs> this time, resources for creatives, websites, magazines, oh, shoot, YouTube bro. channels, where should people be looking at for creativity? Um, to be inspired, yeah. like in general, or just like for creative tips too. Um, oh gosh, man. Um, I mean, you mentioned earlier, uh, Fiverr. Mm -hmm. Uh, they're great for I feel like a lot of creative resources as far as like you can hire hire people that are freelancers, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, but like hire freelancers that do video stuff all the way to. Like instruments and album covers, yeah, designers, yeah. any really freelancers. Fiverr, um, Fiverr's really, really dope. Um, yeah, I've used them for all my projects almost now. Really, yeah, for just something random. That's really dope, bro. Yeah. Um, creative tips. Oh man, I love um, Instagram. Has been like a huge like tool for me discovering like just like random stuff from like um universal audio or waves mm -hmm. um plugins for music as far as like just like random tips here and there on like how to eq how to sidechain how to yeah. um do random stuff um other creative sources ah, dude i don't even know man i think like i'm kind of off the radar for that kind of stuff i feel like youtube probably has a lot of stuff yeah. um but I love following this guy, 
um, Chris Lord Alge. Okay. And he's a mixer, uh, phenomenal guy. And he has a lot of great YouTube stuff as far as mixing goes. Um, great tips. But yeah, I mean, dude, we're, we're really, I think we're in a really interesting uh, season with that. Like, I feel like there's so many online resources right now that really the generation before us did not have at all. And so I would capitalize on YouTube and anything social media. Um, yeah. And yeah, I don't know if that helps, but. Yeah, that's a good starting point though. Um, where can people find you? Where can people connect with you? Shoot. Okay. Um, on Instagram, my handle is the Stuart McLeod. Uh, Facebook, Stuart McLeod, Stuart McLeod Music. Um, uh, my Gmail account is literally Stuart McLeod Music at Gmail. Um, yeah, any of those outlets. I'm always, I'm not really on Facebook as much, but I'm always on Instagram. The Stuart McLeod is the best way. Even like I have a lot of people DM me on Instagram that have um, been artists that I produce for and they literally reach out through Instagram. So yeah. definitely don't hesitate. Cool. Awesome, man. Well, bro, thank you so much for being on the show. Dude, it's an honor, bro. And this is good. This is some good stuff, man. Uh, I want to go get this transcribed and read this. This uh, is this is really good. <laughs> thanks, bro. So guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a review, write a, a good review for the show and leave a rating. That way can more people can see the show. And if you have any questions, just email me at youngcreativehustlers at gmail.com, connect at Josh Reels, and make sure you check out a new song, Lessons, link in the show notes. See you guys in the next episode. Peace.